This episode of FileMaker Talk is sponsored by FM Pro Host, professional, fast, and reliable FileMaker Pro database hosting since 1998. Available online at FileMakerHosting.com. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. This is episode 12, and today our guest is Vince Manano. Vince has been working with FileMaker for over 13 years. He created DocuScript back in the day, and then Analyzer, and now Inspector. These are tools to analyze FileMaker databases. Lately, he's been creating the FileMaker the Web Services plugin, which is available through beeswax.net, which is B-E-E-Z-W-A-X.net. So welcome, Vince. Hi, Matt. Let's start with It's Not FileMaker. You had a pretty cool thing you've come across lately. Yeah, a friend of mine... Uh sent me a link to a site called DabbleDB and uh, played around with uh, some of the examples that they had there. I wouldn't say examples, but I guess I would just say some of the tools that they have available for people needing to manage data. I found it quite intriguing in terms of uh, the way they're they're innovating. Uh, Basically, you could just open up some spreadsheet, copy, and paste, and it would learn all kinds of information about your data and uh, present it to you so you could sort it and group it, all that kind of thing. And basically um, using some, you know, logistics of, of, of inferring uh, information about the data that it's seeing. So it's very cool. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of future topics, future things that databases are supposed to be able to do to determine the type of data and information about your data, basically reading metadata uh, from the file, that's yeah, or or inferring from scanning the data and understanding that oh, this this looks like a bunch of dates or right, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Just like a human can look at it and go, oh, that's a phone number or that's a social security number, and know the difference, even though they're you know similar looking. Exactly. So I thought that was cool. Very neat. So that's d a b b l e d b dot com. That's right. Are you actually using it for something now? Like to is it is it useful as a way to to parse data in between FileMaker, or is it just kind of a cool thing on its own? I mean, now that I know that it's there, I might consider doing some things to clean up some data. Or I haven't I haven't come across a need to use it just yet. So, and some of the projects I've worked on have you know uh, quite a large amount of data. So I don't know how it fares with uh, large volumes of data. But yeah. I'll keep it in mind. Big data sets are key. Everybody has different definitions of what's a large set, but exactly. 250,000 names, which is pretty good sized. Yep. What would you call a large set? Over a million? <laughs> One of the sets I've been working on was uh, uh, 16 million records. And it, sur- it certainly puts a different spin on a lot of projects that a lot of FileMaker, you know, well, at least a lot of the projects that I've come across, you could always kind of get a feel for the data by just scrolling through the data. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, for cleanliness just, and reliability and quantity. Yeah, and kind of spot checking, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day trying to think, oh, well, what would it be like to scroll through this data? And I started scrolling, and I spent like a few minutes just scrolling, and the the, the progress, you know, the uh, the sidebar, the mm-hmm. progress bar didn't even budge. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I get it. Yeah. I'll be here for days. 
I had a crazy idea a couple of years ago. I, I didn't know if anybody had attempted to do – first, I, my thought was uh, 10 million or 100 million records. And then I thought, I wonder if anybody's ever had a 1 billion record FileMaker database, and I wanted to see what it would look like. So I created one. <laughs> yeah, I remember you, you uh, presented some information about that at DevCon last yep. year. Yeah. So it's like 150 gigabytes, and it has just a few text fields in it, indexed. Well, you wouldn't be able to do that in pre-7. Uh, yeah, actually, two gigabytes was your file size limit, and this is 150. So this is, you know, blown way past what was possible to do before. Yeah. And what I really wanted to see, we're getting a little off topic here, was was two specific questions that I had that I wanted to test. One of them was the, the time that it took to create a record. Was it slower if you had a really large set of records? And the answer is no. It takes the exact amount of time to create a record if you've got a billion records in the file as it does if there's one. Were any of the fields indexed? Yeah, the fields are all indexed. And that didn't make any difference. It it creates the indexed information in the same amount of time. And then the other question I wanted to have is, for an indexed field, how long would it take to do a search to find one record or a thousand records or, you know, in a really, really large set? Which also is instant. I mean, it's a fraction of a second once the file gets spun up and loaded. The very first search you do takes a while. It takes like 20, 30 seconds. But after the information is there, it's you can search and search and search, and all those uh, queries are instantaneous. Wow, that's pretty fascinating. But if you think about it, for a billion records, it's still only 30 or 40 database operations. It cuts the file in half and in half and in half. It only has to do that a few times before it gets down to right where you are in the index. Wow. Yep. So let's see. That's it for not FileMaker, although there we are talking about FileMaker. (laughs) I have one FileMaker cool thing this week, which links up to a couple that you have, and that was using tooltips in a unique way. And something I did recently was to to use the ZipScript plugin uh, with a tooltip. So that if you, uh, one of my clients had a really long tooltip and you couldn't read it because you can't control the amount of time the tooltip stays on the screen when you hover. And so we created this mechanism that, uh, that uses a let function in the tooltip itself. And the let function invokes a zip script command, which causes a window to, which runs a script. And that script brings up a window with the contents of the tooltip. So you can read it at leisure, and then close that file, close that window when you're done. That's very cool. Pretty obscure, but it was pretty neat. Yep. You have a tooltip-related one too, right? Yeah, actually, I have to attribute this to Hansa from 2 for You, as uh, he was the one that I originally saw this uh, posted uh, technique about. And that technique is to um, basically have a local memory variable uh, defined within a let statement that allows you to cycle through however many you want to. So, for example, in this context, what we were doing was um, defining the memory variable to have the uh, the sort state for a column. And we would put that as a parameter that would get passed to a script. So you'd click on the button once and you'd pass ascending, you click on it again, it then would pass descending, and you click on it a third time, and it would unsort the the column. Hmm. And uh, that combined with a script and go-to object and 
put tab panels and you know put a bunch of uh, uh, portals that are sorted in different ways and all of a sudden you've managed to address the long-standing requests that people have about oh, I want to sort this portal and it was nicely done and very elegant and uh, very tiny compact code hmm. so if you hover over it it would tell you how it's sorted it would tell you ascending or descending or something like that uh, we took it a little step further, which is stored the value into some global field and which field it's sorting so mm -hmm. that we could represent like some visual indicator that this column is sorted ascending and this column is sort of descending. And if it's unsorted, then there's no, no graphic. So that way we could uh, provide the graphic on each column header to show that uh, now I'm sorting by the city, the state, zip, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's been a tricky thing to do without having to create a repetitions of a repeating field or something like that that's a graphic or, you know, so that you could actually have multiple different columns, each with their own graphic for ascending or descending. Of course, you know, it'd be really, really complex to click on one column, then another column, then another column, and actually have it sorted in that order, all three columns simultaneously. But Yes. You, did you go that far or no? No, no, <laughs> didn't go that far. <laughs> So let's see, you have, an, you have a second uh, FileMaker cool thing, too, that I thought was really neat. What was that? Spinners, and uh, they're basically animated, I guess they're animated GIFs. Is that, have you ever gone to a web page where you click a button and there's a little tiny spinner that spins to, to give you some indication as to uh, it's going to take a few seconds to process this, this request? Right, like the spinning beach ball of death in OS X. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. And uh, so I always like to provide visual feedback to users, especially if something is going to take more than a couple of seconds or even even that, mm -hmm. even if it does take a couple of seconds. Yeah. And uh, so in the past, I've used the 2 for you progress dialog, which right. allows for barber poles and indeterminate progress bars. Right, and in the past, I've used the Troy dialogue which has those capabilities as well right and so this provides you with that capability but um, you can also uh, forego the plugin because all this does is uh, is point is use a web viewer to point to the image and once you uh, show that image basically it's an animated gif so it just keeps cycling through the different you know iterations of uh, of the the animation so it looks like something is spinning, but it's just rendering the image in the web viewer. Mm -hmm. How does it work if you are looping through a bunch of records or if you're doing something that's off screen, does it get interrupted or is it pretty smooth? It's pretty smooth. I mean, if you do something off screen, I guess the, the uh, pseudocode would be something like um, uh, stick in a field, the link, the URL to your, to your animated GIF, commit the record, and the web viewer then renders uh, the link that you provided with that data that is in that field. And because it's uh, just going to render uh, or redraw, uh, then it just keeps spinning, even if you've got other things going on in the background. The thing that's the key important uh, step is to commit the record. If you don't commit the record, then the script just runs, and sometimes you have a freeze window, so... Nothing gets refreshed until the right. script is over. Cool. And we'll post a link to that method file in the show notes for this episode. Cool. So on with the interview. 
talking about your web services plugin now. So how would you define uh, what a web service is? There's a lot of web services out there, and a lot of people probably don't even know they're using web services. They can be embedded in all kinds of code. Software sites can you know, interact with other services. A good example of this might be something where you're buying something from Amazon, and Amazon goes off and gets information from FedEx to ship your order, so mm-hmm. it knows how much to, sh- you know, to charge you for shipping to a certain location. So that's a use of a web service, and uh, it's pretty sophisticated now more and more um, because you know, the, the value of all this is the fact that you can interact with uh, the data being provided from different, uh, different companies. So kind of like, like site-to-site communication or server-to-server communication with some transactional components, maybe? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there, there are various uh, levels of complexity uh, there. So some vendors have, you know, very complex uh, structures and the way that they communicate with one another. But, um, you know, this kind of ties all together back to um, the early days of XML and the promise to be able to have XML be the de facto base language of sorts to be able to, you know, translate uh, information from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to get too detailed about, about all that, but basically XML has delivered on its promise, let's say, to be able to do that effectively and efficiently. You think it has? <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, you know, uh, just to kind of segue to, uh, you know, what what our plugin um, allows you to do, and uh, that is, you know, learn how to talk to a service, basically. Right. And uh, using uh, what is called the WSDL. So what's a WSDL? Uh, WSDL is, um, is defined as a web service description language, and uh, it's, uh, it's a way to describe the functions that are being exposed by that vendor. So, for example, um, Amazon has a number of WSDLs that they provide, or web services, and uh, they provide WSDLs for these web services. So if you uh, were to open these WSDLs up, they're mostly just written in XML, and uh, it's um, it's it's a language which is self-describing. So it's a self-describing API, meaning that machines can basically uh, just learn how to automatically talk to Amazon, saying, "Oh, now I know how to ask you for you know the average selling price of this uh, ISBN number." Mm-hmm. And so the the one parameter is you know the ISBN number, let's say as a very simple example. And you send that and it would send you, it, will, it would send, return you back the average selling price of, of that book or item. Cool. So there's a lot of whistles out there and they vary, like I mentioned, in complexity. And um, it's quite a landscape, uh, let me tell you, because I, I've been looking at these for some time and even though there are standards for defining WSDLs and the way that you're supposed to write them, a number of people also venture off and kind of uh, have their own flavors, if you wish, of, of the way these things are defined. So one of the big 
changes, one of the reasons we're talking today, Vince, is that there's a new version of the plugin. What's uh, what's new in the new version? Uh, it's a 2.0 version, and the big the big news in the 2.0 version is that uh, we've been working with the um, the author of Whistlepool, which is an open source project to uh, parse whistles, and uh, she has been managing to uh, get more whistles to parse, and so we benefit from her code. And the other thing that we've been including in the, the 2.0 version is the ability to parse whistles dynamically, which means that prior to 2.0, the way that the whistles needed to get parsed is that you first needed to find them and download them and uh, save them into the whistle folder, which would be located at the root of your FileMaker extensions folder. Mm-hmm. Same places where you put the plugin, but basically it's a folder. Right. And just drop the whistle in there, and then you launch FileMaker, and it would load the whistles into um, memory and expose them as FileMaker functions at the time FileMaker would launch. Right, so before you actually had to have the text file located in your system somewhere. Exactly, Mm -hmm. and that posed to be a problem when when trying to use this on the server. And uh, so what we we did was we enabled the ability to... um, parse the whistle by a different means, and one of them is by allowing you to open up that file, copy the whole contents of the file, and stick it in a field. And there is now a function in the 2.0 version that allows you to say, uh, load this whistle, and has two parameters, basically the name of the whistle and the data that was in the file. And now because it's part of a field, it can be part of your entire FileMaker solution mm-hmm. or script, and thus there's no need to put the whistle in the whistle directory. So the whole thing is self-contained. You open up a file, it loads its functions, you can instantly run those functions, and you can also unload that whistle on you know the end of the script. So basically the, the whole script can, can learn and unlearn, learn, talk to the service, and unlearn its, its functions. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty Which cool. means the developer can deploy an updated WSDL or a whole new WSDL without having to touch anything on the client machine, which is, that's the main benefit there, seems like. It, yeah, exactly. They, they could uh, basically pop in a newer version of the WSDL and update their script if it, there were any changes to their, you know, their functions, and, and basically the whole thing would, uh, would just run uh, without any other... Any other code? Uh, any other files needing to be installed in the client? Awesome. So that's really exciting. That's 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 the big thing in, in 2.0. So there's a lot of different ways that FileMaker databases can communicate to the outside world, right? I mean, there's ESS if you want to use SQL. There's plugins to do SQL. There's um, plugins to do HTML. There's native ways of doing HTML. There's JavaScript, jQuery. Um, many of these, most of these have a lot of limitations and a lot of them have a really steep learning curve. Uh, but web services actually, from my playing with it, is ridiculously simple to implement. Um, what are some of the other benefits of using a web service to communicate, uh, using the web services plugin to communicate from FileMaker to other, other sites? If you're going to be using web services, then a lot of the times people will compare it to using web viewer because they say, well, I have a you know a web browser kind of embedded in FileMaker and so I could point it to a page and 
try to uh, you know pull off the information that I need. Now, the difference there's a few differences there to be uh, to be looked at. First off, um, that if you're going to be you're going to be looking at a web page and then you're going to probably pull off the HTML and try and do what most people refer to as screen scraping to pull off the bits and pieces that you need mm-hmm. that you get back from that web page. And that's very unreliable and unpredictable because um, the vendor can change the HTML at any point in time and not notify you. And secondly, that uh, that that rendering of that web viewer does not happen in the calculation layer, in the calculation engine layer, which means that it, it runs in its own, I don't know if you call it thread or whatnot, mm-hmm. but uh, it will uh, it will not render uh, at the same time that their script is running. Yeah, web so, viewers don't have any guarantee that they've completed. You can't yeah. really test for sure to know that the entire page is loaded because it's not a transaction. Exactly. Whereas uh, the uh, the plugin itself works with communicating directly with the service, and it sits inside the calculation engine, you know, uh, layer. So. If you were to write a script to talk to a web service, then waiting for the reply from that provider to complete the request would guarantee that you're getting your results, and then you can parse them and pull out the bits and pieces that you need from the reply. So in that sense, it makes it more um, reliable. And to, uh, to answer your question about ease of use, if uh, you had to communicate with such a web service, you would have to build this whole XML request string or SOAP wrapper and all this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, personally, I don't even know how to do that. And uh, that would, you know, make it, you know, complex for for a majority of the FileMaker developers out there. And what we've done is we've simplified it to the point where if you know how to... uh, write a FileMaker calculation, you can pretty much interact with web services because the functions of that uh, vendor are provided to you as pretty much native FileMaker calculations. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it really easy to understand, um, you know, uh, I've got a few parameters, they look pretty straightforward, put the values in the parameters, send it, and you get a reply back and most of the time, it's uh, XML, and then you can parse that XML to pull out the uh, the bits and pieces from the reply that you need to uh, to get. Right. So some of the examples I've seen, uh, some of the things that you show when you go demonstrate this, are getting demographic information. So if you put in an address for a house, you can get back the... Um, like the the median selling price of that house in that zip code or something like that. That's correct. There's a number of web services provided by this uh, company called Cdyne, cdyne.com. And they have a number of web services that uh, provide you with, oh, like you mentioned, demographics is one of them. And it's it's basically tying directly into the, to the census data. And... Uh, there's about, I don't know, I'd say about a dozen or so functions that they provide where you can get the, um, you know, if you put in a zip code, the median age of, of uh, people, how many people, what percentage are married, what percentage are not married, the uh, uh, race and 
um, all kinds of uh, average income for that area. So is that, it's, is that information it's, free, or does it, how do you how do you pay for it? Um, the the census data information, I, I'm not sure how it's provided to that company, but um, Cdyne uh, has a has um, an account that you 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 get with them, and you send over your credentials over the um, uh, through the web service. You provide a, an account name and and your um, account key. And they'll, you know, from from that point of view, they'll look you up in their database and all that. And uh, there's a per transaction fee for for getting that data, and you basically pay a monthly uh, subscription to them. So I think for for very little money, you could wire this up into a database uh, for all kinds of purposes. You know, obviously one of the most interesting ones is uh, when you're dealing with real estate or any of that, that kind of information, but uh, it could be useful in a number of different business situations. So sounds like they're pretty robust, right? I mean, they, we talked about the fact that they're more transactional than using a web viewer. I've used web viewers for really simple things like just getting the latitude and longitude, although I think there's web services for even simple things like that that are way easier to use. What about the security and um, the graceful failing if uh, the if the service that they're trying to communicate with is down, how does that work? The plugin also has a timeout feature, so if it doesn't respond within a certain period of time, which you can set up as a developer, uh, then it will, you know, basically time out and, and give you an error, so that you can trap for that as well. Um, security, uh, it's most uh, most of the vendors uh, support the typical standards of ways of uh, authenticating the user. So but, it communicates but, over secure HTTP, et cetera? Yeah, it depends. Some of them have like an, like an HTTPS connection, mm-hmm. and they'll have a certificate and all that. Uh, others will have um, a self-signed certificate, and uh, we don't really support self-signed certificates or, you know, the certificates that are not recognized by recognized uh, parties. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the problem comes also where some situations there are people that again uh, venture off the um, standard way of doing things, and so it makes it a little bit more complex to to make sure that you're authenticated and then interacting with the service in an authenticated way. But for the most part, uh, they when they do adhere to the to the standards, it's pretty straightforward and easy. Uh, there's an account name and password that's passed in the header, and uh, it's very easy to find where to put that in when you uh, when you look at the functions that are provided. So I imagine by this point you've worked with hundreds of different ones. What are your some are your favorite most useful web services? Some of my most favorite are the um, uh, the ones that I've explored on uh, Cdyne's website. Uh, they have some ones for sending SMS messages. So right under FileMaker, you can instantly send an SMS to, to a person or multiple people. Wow, uh, that's cool. Which, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I've heard of some, uh, some people integrated this to be able to um, notify parents that school is not going to be held because there is a big snowstorm. And we've been having <laughs> lots of snow lately. That's so, for sure, even here in Portland. Yeah. And then there's uh, another one that they have, which uh, allows you to um, 
send a voice message. So, for example, I used to get these when my dentist would call me the day before my appointment and tell me, like, uh, you know, hi, Vincenzo, your, your dentist appointment is tomorrow. Don't forget to be here, like, 20 minutes before, whatever. So that can be um, spoken text, and I haven't explored the full API that they provide, but they can provide the, the uh, spoken um, text in uh, different languages, too. So English, Italian, French, and uh, I tried to play around with the, uh, the, the uh, Italian one, and I was quite impressed with uh, the, uh, the dialect and, and the way it sounded. It sounded very, very, uh, cool. very, very true to, uh, to Italian. I always like to eat garlic just before I go to the dentist. Just to yeah. be just to be mean. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty cool. The I, the send voice message, so it actually uh-huh. speaks like the the text to voice kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And you can also I, th- I think send a pre recorded uh, MP3 of your own voice speaking, so that oh, it's cool. actually you saying whatever you want to be saying. Yeah, which. You couldn't custom do, to do that for everybody, all your customers' voices, but you could have like a pre-recorded message that pronounces your company's name correctly, at least anyway. Yeah. And then there's a, a few other ones that I've kind of discovered recently. One is um, uh, very interesting from the BC government, British Columbia government. They provide a web service to, uh, to allow you to interrogate their database for uh, new jobs. Hmm. And uh, so I found that fascinating. And I think it's in Oregon where they've uh, also started a, a project whereby the MLS listings are provided in some way to, uh, uh, to vendors in, in, diff- in a format. And I think if some hmm. creative people are going to get together at some point and build a web service to that MLS listing, uh, you could uh, have some interesting opportunities for people to start uh, presenting, you know, what houses are available and where and all that kind of, all, all that kind of information. What about um, uh, Zillow.com? Have you ever looked at that? I, I have, and I've looked at Trillia. I think it's, that's how you pronounce it. And uh, very impressive, you know. Like, are, those, combined, are those available to be queried by web service? Uh, you mean here in California? Well, Zillow or? is nationwide, right? It's a real estate database. You can look up any address and find out uh, what its guess at the selling price might be. Yeah, I haven't looked exactly in, in at that one, but uh, if they do provide a whistle, pretty pretty sure we could parse it. Hmm. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention, Matt, is that um, we just posted, uh, finished up updating our site to uh, have... Um, a wiki, and uh, we have now wiki examples. So, uh, for people who have purchased a license, they can, um, you know, upload and share their examples. We give them a an account key and password, and so, you know, registered users of the plugin who want to, you know, share all the work and research they did to pull together, let's say, an example for uh, FedEx or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they can post that example on our site and share it with other pe- others in the community. Yeah, because a lot of them have quite a few parameters you can send. I took a look at the eBay one, and it's got so many different options of how you can uh, how you can communicate two way with e- with eBay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's correct. There's uh, some some of them have an overwhelming number of parameters that you can send. 
And, so, then, and then other ones like latitude and longitude are ridiculously simple. You send the address, city, state, zip, and you uh-huh. get back two numbers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what are some of your other favorites? Um, what are some of the ones see. that are – have you found any really good uh, like address cleaning ones? Are there any free ones like that or do they pretty much all cost money? Well, yeah, the address – like uh, for example, there's one that lets you uh, – find if an email is a valid email address. So that's helpful. And that's, um, uh, that's, that's what I've seen so far. There are some that are free like that, but uh, there are hmm. also some paying ones. That's really cool. Uh, Cause I mean, it's pretty easy to test if an email address looks like it's valid, but then you could type in Joe at test.com, which is not valid, even though it actually passes all the tests of having a only one at sign and ends in a dot com or dot net or whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. Doesn't have any spaces or illegal characters. So this actually queries the email server to says, is this account really real? Exactly. Very cool. And, yeah, so that's really helpful to uh, make sure that if you've got any email campaigns going out, that you can make sure that to check if those email addresses are indeed valid. But, you know, a better, better way to do it is, is to, uh, you know, nip it in the bud, which is... Make sure that you check those email addresses uh, at the point of incoming. Right. You know, someone subscribing to get a newsletter from your site, you can make sure that their email address is indeed valid before you can let them you know, even create a record in your database. Sure, and then not even store it if it's not kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. So um, hmm. so that's those are helpful ones. Um, let's see, what other ones that I've come across that have been... Interesting little tidbit it, it is that uh, there's a site called xmethods.com, and I guess they're kind of like WSDL aggregators of sorts. And there's uh, a lot of examples that I've pulled just from visiting their site. And uh, there's one little tiny one that probably is appropriate for the holidays. It's called US Holidays. It's a WSDL, and uh, can also be found in our in our, on our website where we have uh, whistle examples. And basically it lists all the U.S. holidays. Um, I believe you can also find ones where you can list holidays from other countries and such. Cool. Uh, another, another interesting one that I also found on xmethods.com, and sometimes people uh, do this in FileMaker, they, they need to write a check or something, and... Um, you know, print it out on a printer that prints checks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you need to write the wording of the numbers of the amount of the check. So, you know, $7,532. Mm-hmm. And there's a whistle where you give it the the numerals or the total value and, and the numeric value, and it will return the numeric equivalent in words. Cool. So really easy to use. Basically, again, if you can write a FileMaker calculation, you can be interacting with whistles. So I would invite people to, um, you know, check out the examples. And as we uh, we get the word out there to our uh, registered users that we invite them to post some of their examples, I think, uh, you know, it's going to build uh, quite a, a place for people to reference all kinds of whistle examples as this grows. 
Yeah, one of the things we're hoping to do is talk to you really regularly about cool new whistles that are either just coming out or that they're really useful and sort of gems are being discovered as a regular yeah, regular feature on the podcast. Yeah, I look forward to it. So uh, we'll we'll get that going. Great. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you very much, Matt. Have a great evening. All right. <laughs>